Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Second Act Actors. I'm your host, Dr. Janet McMorty, and I was and still very much am a medical doctor simultaneously trying to pursue a career in acting. My guest this week is Barry Clifton. Barry! That is my best Audrey Moore impersonation. (laughs) Sorry, Audrey. Imitation is the most sincerest form of flattery. If you don't know who Audrey Moore is or the Audrey Helps Actors podcast, I highly recommend you check both her and her podcast out. It was an incredible, was and still am an incredible resource for myself as a beginning actor and now myself as a, you know, full on actor. And I met Barry through the Audrey Moore podcast. She did a self-tape with Barry, uh, taping with her on a fantastic online platform called We Audition. If you don't know what We Audition is, I highly recommend you check that as well, too. Once again, I make no money from recommending these things. I wish I did, but I don't. They're just wonderful resources, the both of them. So Audrey had talked about taping with Barry on We Audition and talking about what a great guy he is. And of course, I did the next logical thing. I stalked him on Instagram and I slid into his DMs. And he and I are both second act actors. In fact, he is the second act actor. He has a website, Second Act actor.com. I have secondactactors.com. We are not affiliated with each other, but we support one another personally. Um, because, you know, when one of us shines, all of us shine. Thank you, Moira Rose. Because uh, he is a former U.S. Marine and businessman now turned actor. You may recognize him from such shows as The Thing About Pam and an upcoming show that I don't think I'm allowed to talk about, even though he told me about because he's probably under a non-disclosure agreement. But he is pretty Probably the most charming person I've ever met, and you will see when we get in when you take a look at our conversation. He is a wonderful human being. We do talk a lot about some pretty in-depth, deep stuff. He has a incredible journey through, again, being uh, in the Marine Corps, as well as going through a journey through sobriety, and now this wonderful acting career that he has. And he talks about something that I love, which is building the team around you, building your team of supporters and cheerleaders and people who are really encouraging you to go towards your acting career and build you up in your acting career as opposed to break it down. Please enjoy the incredible second act actor himself, Barry Clifton. story. How did you get into this acting business? Well, I'm sure you've heard it before. It was mom's fault. Thankfully, thank God, my mother uh, gave me the greatest gift of all an appreciation of the performing arts. And she got me involved in musical theater uh, and community theater in Fort Smith, Arkansas, uh, what was then West Art Community College. It's now the University of Arkansas at Fort Smith. And uh, I was probably nine, 10 years old when I did the Music Man and did Carousel a couple of times and, and, uh, uh, 1776 and all those, those old classic musicals, you know. And, uh, I just remember just loving everything about it. The people primarily. I remember how, how fun show people were, you know. And, uh, and it just was something I was, uh, in love with at a very young age. And also, you know, and I don't know if one stemmed from the other, but every time I went to the movies, I would come out and I would be those characters for hours or days, you know, uh, the swashbuckling movies in particular, the pirate movies, the 
whatever. I remember just coming out of the theater and wanting to be those people. So did you go to theater school? I did not. So uh, I, I did that uh, from roughly nine to 13, 15, something like that. And uh, several things happened. Uh, my father passed away. Um, I also, I just made a series of bad decisions starting at that point and basically uh, uh, set aside acting, if you will. I took about a 40-year sabbatical um, and and pretty much forgot that I liked to act. Uh, and I, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of that has to do with drinking. I became a very heavy drinker, uh, an alcoholic, in fact. And I didn't set aside acting. Uh, the disease for me was so insidious that I forgot that I wanted to act. I mean, just completely forgot it. And it was about, I was about sober about 10 years before it started creeping back in. And, 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 and I realized that that was, you know, I remembered how much I loved it and realized that it wasn't too late, you know? So, um, uh, that's kind of the big picture Mm -hmm. without too much detail. Do you remember back 10 years ago when that started creeping back in? Well, it's kind of funny. There were, uh, Two things. One, I think, uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that shortly after my mother passed away, the passion was rekindled. You know, I think she's, she is and always was my muse, you know, and uh, I don't know, you know, I believe in, in a, a kind of a spiritual side to this thing. Um, and there was also something that happened because I did get an agent and booked a couple of things uh, prior to that, I suppose. Um, but I did a, I did a, a, a casting director workshop with Ryan Glorioso out of New Orleans. He came up here to Little Rock uh, at the agency, is the, the name of the agency here, the Agency Inc., and did a casting director workshop. And uh, he posted a bunch of scenes. I picked a scene and uh, performed it, and I used the word perform loosely. Uh, <laughs> and, and, it, and I stunk up the room. And, and it was funny because Yancey said, I'm putting you in the A group. And I was like, oh, come on, don't pander to me. He said, no, anyone who's been in a major motion picture, because I was in a film called Chasing the Dragon. Uh, the only review I ever read said this movie was harder to watch than it was to find. Um, and I had a line, water's back on. That was my line. I was the utility guy. So anyway, so I was in this A group, and and there were some wonderful actors. Uh, one of them, Candace Hinkle, uh, Paige Reynolds. There's these wonderful local actors who have quite a, quite a few credits. And I was with this group and I, and I performed this horrible scene and uh, Sarah Tackett was running the agency at the time. And we were talking afterwards and and she came up. I said, golly, I really, I really stunk the room up and thank God she didn't say, no, no, honey, that's okay. She didn't say that. She said, well, you don't have the experience these people have. And that was, that was a turning point because I realized, well, no kidding. How could I, how could I know any better? And that's when I realized, uh, that I had to become intentional about my acting career, you know? And so I decided, uh, uh, now this doesn't speak so much to the, why I wanted to do it. I don't suppose, but as far as what I did, I just, I realized I needed to get some experience. I needed to, if I wanted to do this thing, I couldn't just show up and, uh, and I hope this isn't offensive, but I was at that time I was what I like to refer to as a mall. If you're familiar with the term, Model, actor, whatever. Interesting. Yes. I've heard that before. (laughs) And so uh, I started, uh, I thought the best way to do that would be get some practice uh, auditioning. So I started auditioning for local uh, community theater and and started getting cast in these plays. Uh, Once, uh, 
two plays back to back, which I realized was, was too much like anything else. I tend to overdo things. Um, got some experience on stage. Uh, actually, the first experience I had getting back on stage for the first time in nearly 40 years, there was someone doing a production of Macbeth. I figured why not, you know, jump in with something easy. Um, and, uh, and they had someone drop out. So she said, great, you're in. I said, well, don't you want me to audition? Yeah, if you want to, come on in. You know, they just, they needed a body. And uh, uh, thank God they did, because uh, it, it was a fun experience. You know, it was a, it was a lovely, dilapidated black box theater here called uh, uh, the, the Public Theater, where they have one restroom, and it's called The Public Restroom. Um, and it's a, it's a dilapidated black box theater, and I just love it. And, and so that was, that was kind of the start. Uh, the the start back, I guess. In your 40-year hiatus, tell me about the work that you did then. Work not just like what made you money, but also like during your time in that hiatus, what was going on? I know there's there was some tough personal stuff, but anything else you were noticing? Yeah, some of the most formative stuff was uh, I, 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 I didn't run away from home and join the circus. I ran away from home and joined the Marine Corps. Uh, at 17 years old, I was a bright kid, see, so I, I, I got tired of people telling me what to do, so I joined the Marine Corps. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, that, that was, uh, I did learn some things. Uh, I, I didn't necessarily practice those things well when I was in the Marine Corps because I was still uh, bad to drink. Let me just put it that way. But I still learned those lessons and can apply them today. The tenacity, you know, the stick to itness, uh, never give up. Um, also learned how to, uh, and uh, Adam Driver talks about this. He was a Marine as well. How the, 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 the similarities between uh, being in the service in the Marine Corps and, and acting. You know, you have a group of people who don't know each other. You come together and you have to form a cohesive unit very quickly with one clear person in charge. And to perform a, 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 a common task, you know, and so I, I did learn that. Um, and so that's that served me well. Uh, also, the hurry up and wait. You know how it is uh, when, you, when you go to set, you know, uh, you can you can be in your in your in your trailer for hours and hours and hours and you're on set for 15 minutes, you know, so that's OK. It's, it's not a problem for me. Uh, uh, it's something I'm used to. Uh, so that I was in the Marine Corps. And then as far as work. There's really no history to talk about. That's that's when the drinking got really bad, um, and I went from job to job to job. Uh, nothing really uh, significant, you know. Sacking. Well, I did I did sack groceries uh, at one point. Uh, matter of fact, that was the last job I had before I got sober. It was the best job I could get. I was lucky to have that sacking groceries. And the reason I mentioned that is. Uh, if you don't mind me just jumping back and forth a little bit, uh, Bonnie Gillespie has a group on Facebook called, uh, well, she wrote a book called Self-Management for Actors. She has a group on Facebook and uh, she talks about, and uh, you'll probably relate to this uh, as far as auditions go. She talks about resacking the groceries. And she says, you know, if you've ever sacked groceries, if you ever run out to the parking lot and stop, so excuse me, I put the peas in with the carrots. I really should have put the meat in with the potatoes stuff. Do you mind if I move those around? In the sack, you know, and that's what we do with auditions. You know, no one ever resacks the groceries, but we want to do that with every audition. Um, but anyway, I, I started into uh, uh, after I got sober. Uh, I shortly thereafter, got into sales, which is what my great grandfather, my grandfather, and my father were, were salespeople. I remember my grandfather telling me years ago, the only way to make really good money without a college degree in this country is in sales, commission salesman. Um, so I, I became a salesman. 
Um, and in a sense, you know, I suppose that's acting in, in, in a way. Um, uh, but anyway, that's what I did for the last, uh, probably the last 30 years of, of my, of my career in, in business. Uh, the last 10 years I was in sales management for a metal building company. Uh, I did learn some things about business, uh, that come in handy. And I, I, uh, in one of your earlier podcasts, uh, she talked about using Excel every day and I would have to use Excel, you know, to, to, it's great. It's a great tool for analyzing data. Now where that comes in handy now, uh, another, uh, part of a uh, member of my team, which I want to talk about later on is, uh, Audrey Moore. I've done uh, career coaching sessions with her and, you know, she talks about a show Bible. So I have, a, I have a show Bible that I keep in Microsoft Excel. So I'm still using Excel. And I analyzed the data. Matter of fact, I could pull up my numbers, be happy to go over my 2021 numbers with you. You know, how many auditions, how many callbacks, how many bookings. Um, and, and she talks about how that's a way to determine if you are working properly. You know, if your package is in good order, if your reps are uh, uh, doing what they need to do, if everything's aligned. Um, and so I, I keep track of that stuff. And now, now I've only done that for faithfully in 2021. So I've only got, and, and actually in January of 2021 is when I started doing this full time. So that's a good starting point. But now I find myself thinking, well, where was I this time last year? You know, and I think that's healthy to do to some degree. Um, but you know, the, the industry's changing, especially with COVID as those hopefully the restrictions lessen up, productions will increase. So this, this year should be different than last year, but at least I have that data to look at. I've become involved with the, the Screen Actors Guild quite a bit since joining. And um, so when when they talk about the contract negotiations with the studios and so forth and the producers, I understand that as a business, every year in sales, no matter, especially in management, no matter how much we increased our margins, no matter how much we did, every year we were instructed by the board of directors, you know, on down. Um, that you need to increase your profits and reduce your costs. So I know that producers are being pressured from their shareholders to increase margins and reduce costs. And I, I just, I just want them to find other ways to do that rather than reducing actors' salaries mm. or uh, making people, especially, uh, you know, the, 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 the crew sometimes working way longer hours than they should to where it becomes unsafe. Mm. And, you know, we've heard about other uh, unsafe activities on set. So I understand their need to reduce costs, but uh, just don't do it at the expense of, of the actors or the, or the crew. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. So uh, go ahead. Well, no, I was just saying it's interesting about your, and I know Audrey talks about this a lot in her podcast as well too, but your mindset being very business data, like kind of analytical and sales driven, right? I think mm-hmm. that's extremely important for actors, like you were saying, actors are a business, actors are self-employed entrepreneurs and need to come at this from with with that mindset. Mm-hmm. I worry sometimes, I know with myself, if I go too business oriented with my very logical brain, that I lose some of the creative, the creativity, yeah. right? Because you're coming at it like it's a machine and here's all the data and you can control it. But as, but the beauty of acting is the creativity and the unpredictability of it. How do you balance the two of those as someone who was very creative as a kid? The analytical part of the job never really came easy to me. I remember when I first interviewed for the management position, 
the general manager at the time, he said, do you, do you like numbers? And I was like, eh, no. And they said, well, you gotta, you gotta learn to love numbers, you know, because they do, they tell a story. They don't tell the whole story, but they do tell a story. So I did learn to, to appreciate data. Um, and it does give you information. Again, it doesn't give you all the information you need, but it gives you a way of looking at things. Um, so, uh, and I think so one of the things that, that, uh, that I learned is in, in an email, you know, thank God for unsent emails. You know, I have thousands of unsent emails in business. Same thing in, in this business. You know, I'll write an email. Usually I'll let it sit for a while and then go back and change it a little bit. I think sometimes in my emails, I can, I still have that business mindset, you know, and I think sometimes they can be a little bit cold and clinical. Um, but the, but the kind of organic side, uh, is more my true nature. So I, th- I think I just have to remember, it's harder for me to focus on the business side of things. I've got to remember to do that. Like if I, you know, if you get an offer, it's like, yeah, sure. You know, it's not like, well, what's the pay? Are you going to travel me? What's the, you know, uh, what contract is it under? Uh, you know, it's just a jump to the yes real quick. Thankfully I have, uh, some good reps that'll, that'll look, you know, take care of me in, in that area. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the, and balancing anything in my life is difficult, you know, trying to balance, uh, acting takes a lot of time and a lot of commitment Well, I've got a, 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 a lovely family, you know, wife, two grandkids and my daughter's getting married Sunday, uh, this Sunday. Oh, congratulations. And, uh, thank you. The most important role of my life. She has asked me to officiate at the wedding. So I became an ordained Dudist minister. And uh, and we'll be performing the ceremony. What's a dudist? A dudist? Are you familiar with the Big Lebowski? Hey, I was thinking that's what it was. I was like, there's no way that's uh-huh. what it is. That's what it is. Cool. I'm a dudist minister. Went down to the state of Arkansas. They put their seal on it. I gave them five bucks and I can perform <laughs> marriages. That's so great. That would be one- <laughs> that's so special. That's so cool. Yeah, and she won't. I, I can't wear a bathrobe and shorts, though. So you mentioned about your team that you've grown around you, the people who are around you, mm-hmm. supporting you. As somebody who, and I'm in this boat as well too, coming from, like, I didn't have a theater school background. I didn't come with a team well-formed from a career in acting or the entertainment industry. I had to find it, right? Find the team. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you find the team that you now have? Sure. Well, the first time I even thought about a team it was uh, uh, my favorite thing about Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio's acceptance speech for The Revenant. He said, first, I want to thank my team. And I remember just immediately thinking, oh, I want one of those. You know, someday, and I remember thinking, someday, maybe I'll get big. Well, and I, I realized you don't wait for someday. You know, you can assemble a team at any time. Uh, because a, a team is just, you know, it's not like they work for me or anything like that. It's just that they, they help me on my journey. And so actually I met most of the people on my team through We Audition. I don't know if you're familiar yes. with, with WeAudition.com, but I was, I was a reader on there and this lovely lady came on and I helped her read for an audition. Uh, she booked the role. And then uh, later on, a friend of mine who I'd met on We Audition, he messaged me and said, dude, Audrey mentioned you on her podcast. And I was like, Audrey who did what? And uh, I had not, I had not heard of Audrey Moore or, or uh, Audrey helps actors. So sure enough, I, I, I became familiar with that podcast and just ate it up uh, and learned a lot about the business side of things from that podcast. And then, you know, she doesn't advertise a lot about it, but on her website, if you look hard, you can see that she does offer coaching. Um, so, so Audrey Moore is my career coach and, and uh, through her, uh, 
uh, she gives you a lot of homework. And I did a lot of homework and it took me probably two months to do that and then got back with her. Uh, she had also suggested my audition coach, Courtney Cunningham. She has the course called Book the Room, Book the Roll, which is a seven-week one-on-one intensive. So Courtney Cunningham is my audition coach, as well as Jennifer Lynn Warren, who I met on We Audition. That's that's my primary uh, go-to coaches for auditions. Um, and then through them and also through Audrey, I met a stylist, Buckley Sampson with uh, Image by Buckley, because I knew I needed to get headshots. Uh, and let me let me stop for a minute and back up. Um, so about five years, roughly, before I started doing this full time, I knew I was going to do that. I, I would at that time I would call it my sunset career. I was going, to, you know, I'm not going to retire. I'm going to shift to my sunset career, and and so I, I wanted to be ready to hit the road when that happened. I didn't want to wait five years and then you know, try to assemble a team, try to get everything in order. So I started thinking about this stuff uh, uh, about five years ago. And now my boss told me I've been saying five years for about eight years, but I don't think that's true. But um, so I started, you know, uh, getting some classes and getting headshots and and doing work and doing self-tape practicing and things like that a little bit. And when I first started that, it's weird. I was a sales manager uh, that did some acting on the side and it, Kind of slowly, in some ways, quickly, I suppose, I became an actor that was a sales manager as a, as a, I don't like the word survival job, but day job, thriving job, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I became, in, in my head anyway, more and more uh, of an actor that just wasn't able to do it full time yet. Mm. But uh, by the time, <coughs> uh, and I actually ended up leaving the company about six months ahead of time, which I won't go into the reasons why. But I was planning on leaving in April and then left in January. But by that time, I had had my career coaching. I had my audition coaches lined up. Um, I don't think I had met Buckley yet, but I knew I needed new headshots. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, Audrey talks about how it's so important that your, your headshots match your reel, match your resume, that it all comes together because you really need to help casting directors have a very clear picture where to put you. And I've had... Uh, Two casting directors tell me specifically that uh, your package is so clear, your headshots are so clear. I know exactly where to put you, and and that may change. Um, you know, I, I plan on looking at that again probably in about six or eight months because those headshots are getting close to a year old now. But anyway, um, so I had this team assembled, and uh, uh, and that's how I met them mostly from we audition. But I would strongly suggest someone get career coaching. Uh, get an audition coach. Well, yeah, and you may not need an audition coach. My career coach, Audrey, she said you need some help with execution. You know, so she she uh, suggested Courtney, um, and she's wonderful. Matter of fact, she 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 may come come through Arkansas uh, in July. I hope so. I'd like to meet her in person. Her and her dog Dakota, um, and we've become you know colleagues, but we've also become somewhat of friends too. So that's that's a really neat thing. Um, um, so anyway, before used to, when I would get new headshots, I would just, you know, grab some clothes and that I thought I looked good in or whatever and show up and say, I'm here for my headshots. Well, in this, this case, working with a, 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 a stylist was phenomenal and she's in LA, but she can work remotely anywhere. And so we set up our first session, which probably talked for, I don't know, two hours at least. 
about the different castings I was looking for. And through working with Audrey and through working with Courtney, um, I'd kind of fine tuned, you know, what I was getting auditions for, what my look was, this, that, and the other. And so we, we, uh, Buckley and I talked and we came up with eight kind of specific and some of them, one of them very specific. This is kind of, I like talking about this because she said, um, a, a, a guy from a small town that leaves the small town and goes and becomes highly educated, like a, a doctor, a lawyer, uh, whatever, but then decides to come back to the small town. Mm. You know, and I think that's a very specific casting, but you do see a, a lot of that, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so she worked with me. She, 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 I took pictures of things in my closet, you know, and pictures of me wearing different things. And she sets up a private Pinterest page and you, you know, exchange pictures and ideas. And she'll say, try this shirt with this jacket, this with that. She asked what my budget was at the beginning for, for clothing. If I needed to purchase some, the most expensive thing I bought was the cowboy hat. I, I wanted to get a, a real cowboy hat. So I got a nice cowboy hat and didn't have to buy that much, but uh, you know, I had these very specific things. And, and I also uh, asked Buckley if she would help me not just for headshots, but also for clothing to wear for auditions. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the same thing. Um, when possible, I try to find out when my reps, uh, when I do get an audition, I want to know what picture they submitted mm. with the, with the, with the submission. Um, uh, so that, that, that's very helpful. Um, Kelly, you asked about the team and, and I went way farther than that. I do want to mention also, uh, I'm fortunate enough. I've, I've been with uh, Yancey at the agency Inc in Arkansas for a long time. I also, uh, am repped in Los Angeles by Gene Winger with Treasure Coast Talent. Um, and uh, uh, Terry McNeil with Del Corral in New Orleans. And just recently, just last week, actually, Tabitha Kitt with Kitt International Talent uh, in Oklahoma City, and they also do a lot in Texas. Uh, they also have some modeling uh, in California as well, so some print stuff. Commercial, I'm sorry, commercial stuff yeah. in, in L.A. I love what you're saying about the team, and I think when I got my kind of team built, it's really what solidified that this is now a, a – job and that mm-hmm. made it more serious because i think a lot of times creatives and people who work in the arts it can be seen as a bit you know not as serious of a career it's not a classic mm-hmm. career but as soon as i had people invested in me and it wasn't just me like there's others right. involved here that's when i was like okay you need to take this you need to take this seriously it's not just you anymore standing behind the camera there's others mm-hmm who are depending on you and relying on you and um, you know, got, you're the product. You gotta, you gotta do it. You gotta put in the work and the time. Yeah. And, and, and be intentional, you know, it's just, cause I would just like, uh, I would just show up and think I was going to be able to give a good audition. And there was one in particular, uh, it was a race car driver or something and he was Southern. So I, I showed up and I did a Southern accent. Now, why I did a Southern accent, I have no idea because I have a Southern accent, <laughs> and, and it was and it was it was it was horrible. There's there's a few stories like that. I think we probably all have those stories. Has there been anything that has surprised you about the industry in the last couple of years? One thing, uh, there, there's been some myths busted, uh, primarily by Audrey. You know, there's always the the myth of the uh, breakthrough role. You know. And, and, I, and I know it can happen, but I don't think that's what normally happens. Um, uh, you know, and, and Audrey talks about it, how, you know, you, you think the, the farther along you get, you know, after you get 
uh, so a few co-stars, you're going to get some guest stars, then you get a series regular, whatever, and that it gets easier as you go. And it's, it's just the opposite. It gets harder. And it, it doesn't necessarily get harder. The, the road narrows. Mm. You know, you're up against, you're up like, like now I have one guest star on, on, uh, on, on NBC and, uh, I'm sorry, co-star, one recurring co-star on NBC. And so now then I'll be auditioning with people that have six co-stars or eight co-stars or at my age, someone recently, I heard that the longer you wait to get in this career, which is, is, is a drag because that's what I've done. The longer you wait to get in this career, the more that's going to be a problem because guys my age who have been doing this their whole life, they're going to have some healthy resumes, you know, and that's just, there's just something else to overcome. I, I don't get discouraged by that. Uh, it's kind of a challenge, you know, uh, but, but it is something I'm going to face. Uh, and, and so that, that surprised me. And then, you know, I remember, uh, um, was recently on, uh, or currently on the thing about Pam on NBC Tuesdays at nine, eight, uh, so 10, good. nine central. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, someone had commented the meaning. Well, you know, they said, I'm glad you made it, you know, and, and that's, you know, there's, there's that myth that once you, once you get a role or whatever, you've made it. And it's, it's, I don't think you ever make it. You know, I think Gwyneth Paltrow today is, is probably concerned about her next role. You know, I mean, everybody. Yeah. Well, I think it, it's hard, especially if you've come from a more traditional career path, um, tradi- and path being the key word, right? Where it's, it is for the most part in most other jobs, it follows a ladder, right? You do this for this amount of time and then you'll get to the next step and then you'll do this and then you get this promotion and then you do this, 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 this for another couple of years and then you get to that promotion. You're constantly working your way up the ladder. That's how it works in most traditional careers where, yeah, like you were saying, acting is not like that. And it can be frustrating if you're expecting it and then you just get let down. And then that can be really disheartening. And I think that probably plays towards why people just leave. And, and I've had that happen. You know, I, I book a nice role and I, and I, I thought, you know, before I realized that that's not how it works, mm-hmm. I booked a role and I thought, okay, this is good. Now, now I'm, I'm, I'm here. I've made it. I've arrived or whatever. Mm-hmm. And nothing could be farther from the truth. Yeah. But, you know, a couple of things I, I you know, I, and I got this from Glenn Morshower. I was in a, a Zoom meeting, um, and I'll go ahead and plug them if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, solidarity.us is the website, solidarity.us. It's a lot of mostly union members, but they're welcome pre-members, members from the uh, Writers Guild Association, Directors Guild, everything show up every Wednesday night at solidaritymeeting.com. Every Wednesday night, we get together and we talk about the, the SAG contracts and we talk about different things. And Glenn Morshower was a guest, and he said he didn't like, to talk, he didn't like the word pursue. You know, he said, you don't pursue dinner. You ever called someone up and said, would you like to pursue dinner tonight? Oh, you, you go and you, you go get dinner. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he also doesn't like the word rejection. He said, and if I, I'm, uh, the way I remember it, he said, rejection is like a personal judgment someone makes. It's just, you just weren't hired. And he said in Hollywood, he sees people who come there pursuing an acting career and getting rejected and they make it about three years. Mm-hmm with that, with that mindset, you know? So, uh, I, I, I am in an acting career and I get a lot of, a lot of times I'm not hired, (laughs) but that's okay. And that's, uh, I hear I'm answering a question that hasn't been asked, but, um, 
I've found because there are so many auditions and there's so many reasons, this is something I learned from Audrey as well. There's so many reasons why you may not be cast and Mm -hmm. chances are you don't want to know, you know, it may be that you remind the, the, the director of a, uh, of a teacher that was mean to him. I mean, who knows, you know, it can be the craziest reason. Um, So what I have to hang my hat on is, is performing well, is the actual, the craft itself, doing a good audition, doing the best audition I can do, and and that's where I have to get my satisfaction. Mm. And the rest of it is, frankly, it's none of my business. I need to do everything I can to make sure I fit the tone of the show and, and the pace of the show and and, and deliver the performance that I think that, that the writers uh, and the director want. But once I do that, it's it's totally out of my control. And so I found in every area of life, the, the less time I spend thinking about things I have no control over, mm the better off I am. Matter of fact, we studied that in, in business. Mm. They, they talked about your sphere of influence, you know, and, and so many times you waste energy trying to affect change in things outside of your sphere of influence. Mm. And they said, if you focus inside your sphere of influence, actually you have more chances of affecting changes outside, you know, if you just remain focused. Huh. And, um, and, and so that's, that's what I try to do. I, I mean, I can't, I, I, you know, a lot of times I get to thinking of, about it. And, and I'm not able to maintain that attitude at all times, but when I do, it's just a lot, a lot less stress. You know, I, I like when I'm through with an audition, I throw the sides away, you know, and, and, and try not to think too much about it. That's really interesting. I love that sphere of influence. Cause I think we so, we so much crave control because control feels good, right? Control is calming. Control is, you know, and control is also like external to us. And I think in a, in a career like acting when, um, and I say this, I think every episode where we are the product. And mm-hmm. so we individualize everything because we are it. And when you right. have no control except for what you can do, I think it's, it's overwhelming. It's also it can make, overwhelming but also can be very empowering as well too Mm -hmm. and but it's it's a struggle between between those those two things yeah and and that's not to say that you can't do things to affect change in those areas to increase your sphere of influence you know like casting director workshops you know if if that that will that will just uh as audrey puts it extrovert your talent Mm -hmm. you know just get in front of other people so you can do things you know get get representation in other areas um, whatever it is, uh, if you're at a place where you could do a, 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 a showcase, you know, whatever you can do. Uh, matter of fact, it's essential that you do. You can't just uh, rest on your laurels and think it's going to come to you. But at the same time, you know, you do what you do and then the results are up to the, the muses. Yeah. <laughs> do you have any more advice for someone who's coming into this career later on in life? Yeah, um, I do. And I'm going to refer to my notes here because <laughs> I tend to ramble uh, about that. Um, so, you know, I've, I've said a few times on this to be intentional. Mm-hmm. And and my experience was to make a long-term plan. You know, it's it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, you know, you hear a few overnight success stories. Usually when you dig into it, the overnight success story took 10, 15 years. Or perhaps the person is a, is a legacy. You know, they have people in the business, which is fine. You know, nothing against that at all. But they had a leg up for some reason. So make a long-term plan and begin executing it now. Don't wait. You know, one thing I love that Bonnie Gillespie talks about is she says, launch at 85%. Now, you know, I, I can't take that to mean to, to submit, uh, you know, sub 
uh, substandard work or anything like that. But if I wait for the stars line for everything to be perfect, like if I would have waited till I had the opportunity uh, till I could act full time, uh, if I had waited, then I would be, uh, I'd be behind the eight ball, you know, when that's happened. Instead, I made the plan, started executing it as soon as I kind of developed the plan. Um, so don't wait till you, till you're ready, whatever that means. And, and just, just be intentional. Um, I needed to get experience acting. Uh, you know, um, um, there's, there's no, uh, replacement for that. I'm trying to think Dustin Hoffman, Dustin Hoffman's masterclass. He talked about how, um, he used to get together and I'll, I'll never, I'll never recall their names, but he came up with two other actors that are, uh, golly, I should have written this down because I, I, I usually talk about it. Uh, but anyway, he said they used to get together and have a salon once a week and read poetry, tell jokes, do a scene. He said, act, act, act. There's, there's no, there's no replacement for it. Um, so, you know, if you, if you don't have any experience at acting, then I, I suggest community theater, you know, local theater. Uh, Little Rock, Arkansas is blessed with about five or six, uh, wonderful community theaters. They're so supportive. I've been in auditions before. And there was uh, one in particular, there's a young lady, and I don't remember what she was singing, something from Sound of Music, I think. And she kind of stumbled over a few of the words. Well, every woman in the audience started singing along with her. All these other women auditioning, you know, started singing along with her. Uh, uh, this is a very, very supportive community. And it's a great experience. You know, there are some some wonderful actors that have no intention of, of pursuing acting as a career, but they just love they just love performing. And, and so you, you get uh, lots of experience that way. And then also uh, I'd started doing, I realized, uh, I think Bill Murray puts it best. He said he, he prefers a uh, film to stage because you only have to be good for seven minutes at a time. <laughs> and so I, I decided I really, and, and another thing I prefer about film is uh, kind of the spontaneity of it. You know, you don't have time to rehearse usually. Now I've seen, theater actors who can rehearse a show for two months straight over and over and over. And still every single night, it's as fresh as the first time they did it. I've seen people do that remarkably well. Um, but I kind of get, get stuck in a, in a rut or something if I do it over and over. So in film, there's a, there's kind of an excitement and a spontaneity of kind of letting it unfold. There's, there's kind of a realness to it, I think. So I started doing, uh, uh, uh student films. You know, there's uh, the University of Central Arkansas, the film school of the South, um, uh, has a great film program. And so I did, you know, probably half the stuff on my reel is from student films. Now, I hope to shortly replace that as these uh, other things uh, start coming out. But uh, but it's a great way to get footage. It's a great way to get experience on set. Um, great way to meet people. And who knows, you know, some of those guys directing or people uh, directing student films may go on to become professional directors and and remember that you helped them out when they were just a a wee lad, you know? So um, that's, that's a great thing to do as well. And then, uh, you know, uh, there's another thing that Bonnie Gillespie talks about uh, finding a pace car, you know, find someone in your market. Uh, Like, like, you know, Brad Pitt should not be my pace car. You know, I need to find someone in my market, not necessarily my same casting, but someone that, that may have taken uh, uh, started where I'm at kind of, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And look at what they did. Look at the team they assembled, look at the work they've done. 
and and not to not to copy them or anything, but just study what they've done. And and luckily, there's a there's a couple of great examples here locally. Uh, Ed Lowry's one, Dean Denton is another. Uh, there, there's some actors, and they're they're not superstars, you know, but they've done some really good work. They're 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 very talented people. Um, and so I've kind of taken some of the same steps they've taken, and fortunately, have had some of the some of the you know similar results. Do you have any crazy, fun, or interesting on-set stories? Well, probably the, uh, the most recent one, working with Renee Zellweger, was remarkable. Uh, she was just super nice. And, uh, you know, we showed up uh, on set at a little convenience store, uh, Pearl River, Louisiana, I think it was. And, of course, me and another actor that was local, we were off uh, in this one area, and, and uh, Ms. Zellweger was in her trailer or whatever. So we didn't come together till we we're on set. And, and we start blocking and start doing on-camera rehearsals and everything right away. No time to chit-chat. And um, probably about five or six takes in, uh, she's always getting, if you've seen the show, she has a chill chugs yeah. in her hand. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I don't know if you can see it. Did you steal it? Nope. I asked for it, and they were kind enough to give it to oh, me. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, so I, I, I didn't get uh, Renee to sign it. I wish I would have. <laughs> but anyway about five or six takes in something like that. She had to, there's a lot of, as she put it, a lot of business. <laughs> she had to get a cup, fill it with ice, fill it with drink, fill it all this stuff. And uh, as she was getting her drink, she was coming to the register and she dropped it and it just splattered all over the floor. So we, we had to stop, you know, and she was very apologetic about it. Cause you know, lots of people had to come in there and start cleaning it up. So we had a few minutes. So I had a chance to talk to her and I said, I think I said, Miss Zellweger the first time, I said, Miss Elwiger, I hope we get a chance to talk later. I hope I get a chance to fawn over you properly at some point because I love your work, loved you and Judy. And she said, did you not see what I just did? And I said, yeah. I said, I was a big fan, but after seeing that, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But she was was lovely to work with. And then we actually rode the bus together back to the base camp and talked about dogs and accents she said i love your accent i wish i could go back to my accent but i can't you know because she's from texas mm-hmm. and but she's adopted that that beautiful uh, uh uh missouri accent for this show so she, you know she had to stick with that oh, wow that's so neat the show's the show's really great it's on it's on ctv here in canada just to let everyone know ctv <laughs> yeah in canada what, yeah. Time? what time what day what time i think it's on tuesdays okay there's one other story that i'll tell kind of kind of two stories but uh, if you don't mind as far as on set uh, the the first time I was on a, a major film I was in a, a film called God's Not Dead a Light in Darkness and I got to work with uh, some Hollywood legends Ted McGinley who was in a show called Love Boat another show called Married with Children yeah. uh major shows uh and then um John Corbett who was in Northern Exposure and then uh, Tate, Academy Award-winning actress Tatum O'Neill, the youngest actor oh, to ever wow. win an Academy Award. So I was in a – and I just thought, golly, I'd love to – I knew they were in the film. And I thought, golly, if I could do a scene with them. Well, sure enough, my first scene was with all of them. Oh and uh, and Ted McGinley, I don't know many men in Hollywood, but I always refer to him as the nicest man in Hollywood. I, he helped me get out there for the premiere and it's just been super, super kind. We email uh, back and forth occasionally. But uh, so I got to work with these wonderful actors and uh, just hearing them tell stories like one story. Uh, uh, Ted McGinley was talking about being at Henry Winkler's birthday party. 
And John Corbett was did catering. He said, I catered that party. You know, so just hearing stories like that. and uh, uh, But mainly working with them. Like seeing, there was a scene with Ted McGinley and uh, um, um, Ted, Tatum O'Neill. And when it was over the shoulder uh, on Tatum, you know, Ted stayed in there the whole time, of course, you know, and, and did this remarkable performance. And I remember Tatum O'Neill thanking him afterwards, you know, for, for staying there and doing that. So watching these people work at that level. And and uh, on the way home, I'm going to get a little emotional here because on the way home, I got to thinking about, you know, how long I had waited to do this. And and in Little Rock, Arkansas, it's it's rare to be able to, to do something like that. Uh, and, and anyway, I just, I, it just brought me to tears thinking about that. And I, I remember telling my wife, I think that's when she first got how much this meant to me. And another thing I learned from that. So I went to the premiere, you know, and there's the, 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 the glitz. And of course I don't get on the red carpet. They don't want to see me on the carpet, but it was, it was nice being there. And, and, and Ted McGinley was super nice to me and it was wonderful to see it within that crowd and everything. And that was nice, but it didn't evoke those same emotions. And so that, that was, uh, let it, let me know that it's not because I always have to check myself, you know, check my motives. And so the glitz and the glamour is not where the, the joy comes from. The joy comes from the work. You know, that's, that's what's really neat. Get into work and, and not just the cast, but to watch a professional crew like that come together. Very little talking. You know, they, they knew what they wanted to do and, and they got together as a team. And when they had to flip the world, they flipped the world quickly and got us back on. So just everything about it uh, was just remarkable, and, and 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 also that every time I do something like that, it really increases my passion to get back to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and I still love doing the little indie films. You know, I, a friend of mine here, Lisa Crowell, who just did a film called Patient Justice, that's won a few awards. I love doing stuff like that, but there's something about working with a big production. Um, and and ex- people with with lots of professional experience. There's something really neat about that. You, I've heard you talk about some of the people you've had the opportunity to work with, you know, and yeah. just to see that level of professionalism and and so forth. Well, and it ties right back to your to your career, your time in the Marine Corps, right? Like it's it really shows again how if you work well as a team. And everyone's there to try and get the same outcome. Like it's kind of a magical thing, right? Yeah. Not only mm-hmm. like you're in the Marine Corps for you, but also the team that you've built around you who's developing your acting career. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, exactly that. The people who are on this film set who've come together with the same goal in mind and are trying to all succeed and make everyone else look good. Because in the end, if that mm-hmm. happens, the product looks good and then you look even yeah. better. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. thing. I think it's, it's kind of a, I don't know. I, I see it in a lot of different kind of jobs and world and, and like, you know, career paths and stuff, but I don't know. There's something pretty unique. I think about the film industry with, with that teamwork aspect yeah. in mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another thing, another advice and maybe not for just starting out, but if you do get an opportunity uh, to, to be on set and to be involved with something like that, do your research, mm-hmm. you know, um, you got, you got to know who you you're, you're working with. Um, uh, because we're not, you know, in, in, in network TV, a TV show, the showrunner, you know, is a very important person. They're, they're actually responsible for the for the whole uh, creative uh, aspect of the whole show. And and the thing about Pam, 
uh, Jenny Klein is was the showrunner, and she wrote The Witcher uh, among a bunch of other things. So I, you know, I, I knew what she looked like. I knew who she was. So when I saw her on set, and she was very nice, came up to to, to talk to us, and I knew exactly who she was, and told her how much I loved The Witcher, and it looked like she really appreciated that, you know, because I did. It's a fascinating show, and then, <clears throat> excuse me. And the director of the the first two episodes was Scott Winnett, who had won two Emmys for thirty something, you know, and, and it was wonderful working with him because he uh, directors uh, to to me the, the the remarkable directors not only of course have a very clear vision of what they want, but they have a very clear way of communicating it to you. And he didn't hesitate, you know, telling me and, and Miss Elwiger both, you know, uh, exactly what he wanted. Very kind and everything and hands on. You know, he actually came up to where I was standing and said, I want you to, you need some business to be doing. I said, well, here's a calculator. Oh yeah, that'll work. Just be doing that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, and so knowing who you're working with and, and, uh, uh, and Jenny Klein also was a showrunner. She also wrote, was one of the writers on the show mm-hmm. as well. So uh, writers uh, are, are, can be your best friends. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that you're looking forward to coming up this year? Um, well, I'll tell you what, the, the, I, I, there hasn't been a lot of evidence of this, but my, my agent in L.A. has not been able to get me a whole lot of auditions because I'm in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. You know, people still aren't, aren't traveling people. And, and also, you, you probably see this, too. They probably travel people from California. Mm-hmm. up to where you are all the time mm-hmm. but do they ever travel you to california no, no. no. yeah uh and and sometimes they should i think yeah, I um mm-hmm. uh but anyhow so that that that's that's the business yeah. nothing against la nothing against the actors out there or, or anything but but you know there are wonderful actors in other parts of the world but uh she has since the thing about Pam aired. I, I have had some some other network auditions that I probably wouldn't have had because of that. Um, and my agent New Orleans uh, has submitted me to some some bigger projects, some guest star pro- uh, roles, and things like that. Um, and it's just the, the 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 exposure. And you know, the the being on a, a network show, it's not about. Uh, or it is about, but it's only about it for one reason. It's about being exposed to a wider audience so that you have more opportunities. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the only, or that's the, the, the best thing about that is that you're seen by a wider audience and your talent is extroverted to more people. And so hopefully you have more opportunities. So I'm looking forward to see uh, if that trend uh, continues or if it kind of peters out, you know, um, because I like on we audition, I read with, uh, uh, Lots of people who have had guest stars, some many series regulars, uh, who are now you know reading for co-star roles. You know, I mean, it's just it's just the nature of the business. Doesn't mean that they're they're not good or they weren't remarkable in the, the role their their series regular role. It's just that show's not there anymore. You know, and, and they they have to they're they're working hard to get their next role. Um, so uh, you know. Just because I, I, I finally, you know, made it onto onto network television doesn't. It, it's weird. It kind of uh, two things I think are true at the same time. It's the most important thing that's ever happened to my career. It's a huge step up, and it doesn't m- amount to a hill of beans. It doesn't mean anything because everybody, you know, most of the people going out for a lot of these roles that I'm going out for have multiple co-stars, maybe even some guest stars, maybe even some series regulars. So in that sense, it's, it's, it doesn't mean a thing. 
And I think both of those are true. And I don't mean to be negative about either one of those things either. It just, it's just part of the business, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm just uh, hopeful and, and curious and excited to see where, where, what this next year will bring or not, not even this next year, what this week will bring, you know, it's Monday. Let me see. Let me look at my email, see if there's anything yet. You know, it is exciting. It's exciting to look at my email. Um, Nope. No auditions yet, but you know, maybe, maybe tomorrow. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what I definitely try and have that mindset as well too, right? Like every day is a new opportunity for something to tumble into your inbox Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, yeah, it can get discouraging over time if it's just been a long dry spell, but, you know, you just got to keep pushing forward. There's nothing else you can do. Uh, you know, I read somewhere that once you submit an audition, the average time before you hear something is two weeks to seven years. Seven years. <laughs> so, you know, who knows that an audition I did two years ago, they could have run into funding problems. This, that, I mean, you never know well, when the next offer might come. You mentioned um, kind of briefly there um, the moment when your wife kind of realized how much this meant to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you say your family, loved ones, how would they describe what you're doing these days for a living? <laughs> well, my mom, God rest her soul, she would probably say I was fulfilling my destiny. Um, it's kind of interesting. I, they're very supportive. Uh, I, I don't know. I think they would say also living my dream. You know, they're, they're, they're very happy for me. You know, I'm situated where I, I don't have to get the next role to, to pay my bills. You know, I, I did work for many years in business. My wife did too. So neither one of us have day jobs anymore, but thankfully we have uh, an income to, you know, pay our bills and stuff. Um, uh, another reason I, I, I work on We Audition, changing subjects again, is to make enough money to wear it. Like I bought a new camera, you know, and I bought these lights and a new microphone. You know, I can, I can, uh, uh, invest in my career without dipping into our, our retirement mm. funds. You know, I don't like to use the word retirement because I'm not retired. I've just changed careers. Um, but yeah, they're supportive. Uh, they're excited for me when I, when I book stuff, they probably, I would imagine they get tired of me talking about it all the time. I try to be conscious of that. And, you know, like we had our granddaughter's birthday party here yesterday, two years old. And, you know, so I, I really try to focus on the really important things, family and so forth. But gosh, this stuff is so exciting, you know, uh, 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 but they're, they're supportive. Then they're, they're happy for me. There was a story I'll go ahead and tell. Uh, my oldest daughter uh, took acting in, in college. She got a degree in performing arts or I don't know exactly what the specific degree was and immediately went to L.A. right out of college. And she stayed out there three or four years. Uh, and she she said that she just kind of lost the fire for it. You know, she'd grown up, always wanted to do that from, from a very young age. And she got out there and it just, uh, I don't know if it wasn't, we talked about it fairly recently, but she just lost the desire for it. And uh, she's moved back home and has a beautiful family now. But when she was out there, uh, I remember talking to her one time. And I don't remember exactly what I said, but I was like, you know, you got to hustle and you got to do this, you got to do that. Whatever I said, I'd, unbeknownst to me, it, it kind of upset her. And she told her mom about that. And luckily, Catherine, my wife, she knew me well enough to say, she told her daughter, honey, you have to realize he would have killed to be where you are at your age. He, he's just living vicariously through you. And I, I, I hate that I did that, but I was like, golly, you know me better than I know myself. <laughs> 
Do you have any final words of wisdom? <sighs> I'll share one of the things that Glenn Morshower shared. Um, he was talking about, you know, being able to uh, uh, envision things, you know, and the, the feasibility of something. Is it possible? Is it not possible? Is it certain? Um, and in talking about that, I asked him about um, questioning, do I think imposter syndrome or whatever that I think a lot of actors suffer from. He said, he, he said it wasn't a thing for him since it, his very first day in Hollywood. It wasn't a thing for him, but he said, you know, you have to uh, uh, cast yourself in these, in these shows. He said, you know, ask yourself, uh, why should you be cast in this show? He said, that's a legitimate question for any employer to ask an employee. Why should I cast you in the show? And he talked about, you know, I don't, I don't deserve any role. I, I want to earn a role. There's, there's a difference between deserving something, you know, that has, that speaks to privilege and, 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 and entitlement and so forth, but I can earn it. And, uh, and he said, ask yourself why you should be cast. And I remember thinking that I've been told on multiple occasions, I'm pleasant to work with, I'm fun on set, you know, I know my lines, I'm very professional, um, and I, I would be an asset to any show, you know, and I've got to have that confidence to know that I'm not an imposter. I do belong here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, when I, I do get to questioning that still, and I'm like, you know, look at the people I've worked with, look at the opportunities I've been given. These people who gave me these opportunities know what they're doing. You know, uh, the casting directors and the directors I've worked with. And, and so, um, just, just don't, don't linger in the doubt and, and fear is a liar. That's the biggest thing. I, I, I have a very specific thing I won't go into, but I, I talk to fear out loud and, and I tell it to get out. You know, fear is a liar and fear and creativity cannot exist in the same brain. It, it doesn't, you know, when you, when you, when you experience fear, the creative side of your brain is shut off, you know, as a protective mechanism. Um, so I, I've got to get rid of the fear. Um, I guess that's it. Not a very succinct uh, final thought. No, but that's fascinating. That was really, I was really struck by that, you know, fear and creativity can't exist together. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think so much of what imposter syndrome does is, yeah, like you were saying, gets that wall up. I mean, like, I'm not supposed mm-hmm. to be here. And then that fear comes in and the creativity goes away. Um, no. Wow. Yeah. Any advice for, like, how do you push through that? Uh, just work. I mean, yeah. just, just you know, take action. Hmm. Take action. You, you know, it's something I learned in, in sobriety is, you know, you can't, you, can't, you can't think your way into right acting. You have to act your way into right thinking. So if, if my head's not in the right place, just do something. Act as if my head is in the right place and take some positive action. The thinking will follow. Just just take action, take action, take action, do something. And, and not, you know, I know you can actors can get stuck doing busy work, you know, which is which is not. But it's better than nothing. But try to do something that is actually going to further your career and not just, in, you know, don't do something to increase your star meter. You know, that's not really going to help. <laughs> Try to do something constructive. Take a casting director workshop or, or uh, you know, watch a, watch a, 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 a video or a, 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 what do they call master class, uh, something like that. You know, take action. Take positive action for your career. And there's so, – uh, someone talks about how 
an actor talked about on their checklist was to do something every day for your career. And like, if that has to be on your checklist, you know, I don't know that, that you're in the right career. You know, that's, that's not on my checklist because I'm, I'm just, I'm going to do something every day to further my acting career. Uh, I also, I strongly suggest we audition. Um, it's a, it's a great way to the, the community uh, that you meet on there. And I'm not a paid spokesperson. I, I pay my, I pay my monthly, monthly dues for that. Uh, which you make, I make back the monthly things in one reading, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, you, you, you practice your cold reading skills. Uh, you also stay up to date on what's casting. Mm. Um, um, you, you get to meet some remarkable people um, and make a little money, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so I use it as a reader, but also, uh, also now I've, I've read with several people. So when I have an audition and I need a reader, you know, there's certain readers I, I know that, uh, kind of the performance they'll give me. So I have certain readers that I like to use. So it's just a, it's a wonderful platform. Thank you everyone for tuning in. And thank you, Barry, for being my guest this week. Everybody go check out his website, secondactactor.com. And while you're there, you can make a typo and put second act actors in the search box. And then you'll get my website so you can support both of us. Again, he's got an incredible website with wonderful resources for second act actors like ourselves and uh, a wonderful blog post as well, too, where he talks about his journey and again, building up his team. I hope you tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye. Second Act Actors is produced and edited by me, Janet McMorty. Theme music by Guillaume. Additional sound editing by David Studio. Additional video editing by Jackie Wadewer. Show notes written by Sarah Hopkinson. I record using Riverside FM. If you're interested in developing an interview-based webcast like mine, I highly recommend this platform. Shoot me an email and I'll direct you to the wonderful folks there. If you or someone you know is interested in being a guest, email me at secondactactors at gmail.com. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. My love language is words of affirmation, so compliments, constructive criticism, and feedback are always welcome and encouraged. Negative Nancys, Judgy McJudgersons, or Debbie Downers, unless you're Rachel Dratch, regarding me or my guests are not welcome. It takes serious courage to share your story with the world, so if you're tempted to negatively comment about someone else's story, please ask your therapist why you're such a garbage person. Save the drama for the stage. On that happy note, I hope you'll tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye!